Let's take our Bibles this morning, your hard copy, your electronic copy, your brain copy. Let's look into God's Word, the Bible. Actually, the word Bible means book. That's why uh, if you have a hard copy, it'll say on the back of your spine in your Bible, holy book. <laughs> it's the holy book because we serve a holy God. And since every word is inspired, we ought to study every word. And that's why here at the home church, uh, we go through Scripture. God expects us to know His Word, and maybe more importantly, to obey His Word. But in order to do that, we have to understand His Word. You know, God never asks us to check in our brains, maybe check in our human brains and to get a divine logic, but the fact is God is very smart and God is amazing as He brings to bear the greatest logic of all. Isn't it wonderful to have something that you don't have to ever check the sources, you don't have to ever wonder maybe if it's pure or not or, you know, if there's an underlying thing. No, the fact is every time you pick up the Bible, it is absolute pure truth. That's just such a blessing. I mean, you read an article, you hear somebody, and uh, if you're wise, you use discernment. You know, you think, ah, well, you're not, you can't always know exactly what they're saying. But that's why here at the uh, home church, uh, we have a Bible-based church and a Christ-centered ministry because uh, we know that's uh, where our strength comes from. Let's go to the book of Revelation this morning, the last book in the Bible. This is the final chapter in the world's greatest love story. The book of Revelation seems uh, foreboding to some and scary to others, uh, even shocking. But the fact is, actually, the book of Revelation is a, an amazingly joyous book because while it portrays the end-time events and the wrath of God, it also is the glorious future of the people of God. God's Word comes to a tremendous crescendo in the book of Revelation. This morning we are going to go over the last part of chapter 8, part 2. Uh, we're calling this Ecosystems End. And I'm going to take an opportunity to take a few swipes at the environmentalist uh, regime out there in this world because that's exactly what God is doing here. He is destroying the God of this world. You know, there's much talk today about uh, global climate change, renewable energy, uh, the environmental movement is uh, just never been so big. And uh, here in just a few weeks, we're going to be celebrating, some will be celebrating Earth Day. I'm going to celebrate God's Day on that day, but um, we're going to celebrate Earth Day, and it's the 50-year anniversary and people will be doing all kinds of crazy things in this world. But the fact is, and it's strange to me, how that the one who created the earth, no one even cares about. But on earth day, I think we ought to realize how great our God is. And so that's what we're going to talk about today, ecosystems end here at the last part of chapter 8. Environmentalists pass by the cage at the zoo. 
This environmentalist walked by that cage and noticed that in the cage there was both a lion and a very active monkey. (laughs) He was very impressed at the strides they were making in zoology. He saw a zoo worker nearby and asked, how does that actually work having both a lion and a monkey in the same cage? It works all right for the most part. Well, do they ever get along? Well, every once in a while there's a problem. Well, what happens then? We just get a new monkey. <laughs> and uh, that's a no-nonsense answer, but a correct answer, isn't it? A logical answer. And I'll tell you what, we have such a crazy world out there today. They're trying to figure out all kinds of things. You want to get the real logic, go to the Word of God. And that's what we're looking at today. And so let's bow our heads for the prayer, if you would, please. Our heads are bowed. Father, we come before you. I thank you for this opportunity. I pray, Lord, that you will help me to be bold for you. Help me, Lord, to uh, uh, take the axe and lay it to the root of the tree. Help us, Lord, all, each one of us, to and lay unbare, Lord, and just uh, uh, lay open, Lord, the lies of this world. Help us, Lord, to get your perspective, I pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right, let's go to Revelation chapter 8. We're going to get up to speed here just by looking at the first verse briefly. 8, 1. Let's read verse 8, 1 together, if you would, out loud. And uh, if you don't have a King James Version on you, if you look up here on the overhead, you'll be able to get that. Ready? Begin. And when he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven about the space of a half an hour. All of heaven, silent. Not a whisper. The waves stop. Every bird stops its sound, every cricket, every rustling wind. I'm there's not a word on earth or in heaven. The fact is, for 30 minutes, there is absolute silence. Silence in and of itself after just a few minutes is so deafening that it's just foreboding. And why is all of heaven silent? Because this great big seal has been opened. Remember now, we have this scroll that's been given to the one and the only one who has the right to open it because it is a title deed. Nobody, if you own a home, a property, you have a title deed. It's nobody else's. You and you alone have the right to open that envelope. Jesus is the one who has been given the title deed. That's why throughout the book of Revelation they say, Thou art worthy. Nobody else can open this envelope, and so he opens this scroll one seal at a time. Now we've come to the final and seventh seal, and when it opens, all of heaven, all the angels who've never seen it, angels aren't omniscient like God is, they see what is written, and those seven presence angels we talked about last week, and all of heaven for that matter, all of a sudden everything that they see in this, they just are stunned in silence about what is to happen. And seven trumpet judgments are about ready to unfold. If you'll take that chart, please. We've looked at it for a few weeks. Here it's just a very simple chart. There's some that are much more detailed and wonderful to study. But this one, uh, since I'm kind of a picture guy, far left here we have the age that we live in, the church. And the church is about ready to get out of this place. It's called the rapture. You see that arrow up. 
Christ comes for his saints. Then begins this seven-year tribulation time, beginning with these seals. And one seal at a time is opened. When the seventh seal is opened, then we have the first of the trumpet judgments, followed uh, finally by the bold judgments where he is just going to pour it out on this earth. The wrath, the righteous wrath of God. All right, let's go to Revelation chapter 8 and verse number 6, please. Let's read it together out loud. Ready, begin. And the seven angels, which have the seven trumpets, prepared themselves to sound. Now the world will have already suffered judgment as never seen before. Such an insane amount of judgment that It's hard to even imagine. Thank God the church has been taken home and they are with their groom. Sometimes in life, uh, being in the ministry, you have insights uh, or inroads, maybe a better word, into the lives of people and some of the tragic conditions that children, young ladies, young men live in is just so heartbreaking. Imagine with me for a moment some young lady who's living in some of these tragic conditions And then God brings along a wonderful prince of a man, a godly, wonderful, warm, rich king, really. And this person falls in love with this commoner and takes her out of that terrible situation, and she gets to live with him the rest of her life. That's exactly what the church is. We are in this world, and our prince, our king, will take us out take the church out. And so, thank God we don't have to be here during that time because Satan is running loose and false peace is uh, becoming the byword of the day and famine and disease and earthquake and the Antichrist is risen up. But the reign of his uh, terrible reign has just begun. There will have, at this point now, but this point we saw in this chart, there will have been millions of martyred Christians and Jewish people. Today there is a rise of anti-Semitism as never before in the history of America, and yet it's just beginning because the entire world is going to turn against the Jewish nation and Antichrist will lead the pack. And Christians will be killed not only because of their stand for Christ, because as we're told in the book of Matthew, they will be giving refuge to the Jewish people and the Antichrist will hate them They refuse to take the sign of uh, 666, and so um, now God is going to pour out His wrath. And so these angels are waiting. We are told they are angels that are in the presence of God. And uh, we uh, uh, theologians say that they are, would be a good term for them, would be presence angels. And they are wondering what God is going to do. It's interesting to me, if you know biblical history, how that when Joshua was taking Jericho, there were seven blasts on seven trumpets by seven priests on the seventh day marching around. You know, it was just a foreshadow of these seven trumpets that are going to sound. Well, let's go to the first trumpet now. The recipient is the sod. I use me a little alliteration here, maybe to bring our memory. Now, you talk about Earth Day. This is Earth Day in reality. 
Let's go to verse number seven. The first angel sounded and there followed hail and fire mingled with blood. And they were cast upon the earth. And the third part of the trees was burnt up. And all green grass was burnt up. The first wrath of God, the first horn of God's wrath blows. And a very strange happening occurs. There are hail mixed with fire mingled with blood. Can you imagine such a strange and remarkable scene? In the Old Testament story of Sodom and Gomorrah, the Bible says that God sent fire out of heaven and apparently up from those uh, big uh, pits, those uh, uh, brimstone pits there in the Dead Sea area. But that's uh, nothing like what's going to happen during this period of time. Now, biblical science experts tell us that from uh, a scientific standpoint, a global earthquake like we saw back in verse number five, remember it says there's going to be earthquakes, could easily trigger volcanic eruptions. Volcanic eruptions all over the globe, sending fiery bits of lava raining down. In a few weeks, we're having a wonderful creation conference, and don't miss, invite people to come. We're going to have legitimate, uh, educated scientists are going to show how that God's Word just uh, proves again what we've all known is that God's Word and science, true science, go hand in hand. So I hope that you'll come to that. But creation science research down in the San Diego area was founded by a man by the name of Dr. Henry Morris. Here is what Henry Morris says about this very passage in Revelation. Worldwide volcanic explosions cause masses of water vapor blown skyward. Very easily they could turn into, then when they get into that cold atmosphere, could turn into hailstones and mingle along with these bits of lava that's blowing out of the, uh, the uh, eruptions and mingled with blood. It's very possible because of all the people who died, especially animals and fish in the water and people on earth, then the, water, the blood has seeped into the water system. So that bloody water erupts up into the sky, it freezes, and then these lava and hailstones mixed with blood come raining upon the earth. Very possible. Well, it says that one-third of the earth is scorched. <laughs> you talk about a scorched earth policy. I'm telling you, one-third of every tree. Go up here to the beautiful Yosemite, and we love it up there. I mean, it's just gorgeous. But imagine Yosemite Valley and all those trees gone, at least a third of them. All those giant sequoias, devastating. Every place you go, there's just very little grass, all the shrubs, all the vegetation, no more beautiful grape vineyards or no more beautiful orchards. I mean, it's just going to be scorched. Of course, that's going to severely affect the crops, which is going to make a, a great famine on the earth. You're talking about the ultimate climate change. Now, people sometimes ask believers, well, why don't you guys uh, support the studies about climate change? Because the fact is, by, folks, when you study Scripture, 
Humanity does not destroy itself. You can't find a place in the Bible from the beginning to end where it says that humanity kills itself. And these uh, apocalyptic Hollywood movies and others, uh, and of course the whole climate change people remind us that, you know, we're going to destroy our earth. Not going to happen. It's not going to happen. You'd say, well, we mean mankind isn't hurting this earth? Well, it's very possible there are situations like that, possible that things we're doing are depleting this or hurting this. But the fact is, Scripture is clear who changes the climate. It is God who changes the climate. It is not mankind. And by the way, mankind can't do anything to fix it either. God controls the weather. God controls the climate. There is a bigger threat than climate change, and it is globalism. You'd say, what do you mean by that? I'm not talking about the rise of oceans, but the rise of the Antichrist. You see, what's happening in this world today is that climate change, the crisis, and now it's a crisis that used to just be, oh, isn't the weather different? Now it's a crisis. Now the earth is going to burn up, and you know everybody's running around and talking about the crisis. The fact is, that kind of terminology just sets up things like the Paris Climate Accord, which promotes a one-world government to say, we've got to combat this, this uh, terrible crisis that we have. And because of that, of course, then that just gives rise to the Antichrist. A charismatic leader is going to come along and say, I've got the answer to this world, and we're going to solve this situation. Did you know all of this is actually predicted in the book of Romans chapter 1? Let's go to Romans chapter 1, if you would, please. Romans chapter 1, verse 18, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against what? Ungodliness. And by the way, when people don't think about God, that's ungodliness, ungod. No God. Earth Day without God is ungodliness. You'd say, well, they're trying to do good. If God is not in the center of it, folks, it's ungodliness. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness, all ungodliness, and the unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Isn't that an interesting statement? They hold truth unrighteously. They have truth, but they don't know how to use it righteously. They have a part of the truth. And part of the truth is often the biggest part of a lie. But notice what God does in verse number 20. For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world. Folks, this world was created by God. It wasn't evolved from some big bang. It was created, and it is clearly seen. Anybody knows that this world was created, if you're willing to look at it, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead. That's why nobody can say, I have an excuse why I didn't get saved. No. God says, all you have to do is look at the heavens, and you'll be able to know there's a God. And that very, it's called general revelation and theology, and then God comes along with the Word of God to give us the gospel. But notice what it says in verse 25, who changed the truth of God into a lie. Catastrophic 
climate science is a lie. It is an absolute lie. They changed the truth of God saying, we're going to kill ourselves. We're going to blow up this world. Not going to happen because it says they worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Here we find the very telling words of the great apostle, and that is that humanity worships nature. Environmental atheism is the fact that in their view, God is in everything and everything is God. And these anti-God environmental activists, to them, human life is no more valuable than a dog. Earth Day, here in just a few weeks, they're going to be spending millions to educate the world. You may not know this, but they actually spend tens of millions to get congregations, religious congregations, to have Earth Day for their church. Sadly, many churches fall into that. We always receive some sort of advertisement here at the church that we're supposed to have an Earth Day. Some of the things that they send are just absolutely heathen. For example, these environmental awareness kits. I quote, this is from one of them. The pastor is supposed to stand, and this is a responsive reading in the church. The pastor is supposed to stand. Probably a pastor that has a skirt on, I'm sure. But the pastor is supposed to stand and say, we squander resources on technologies of destruction. Bombs come before bread. And the congregation is supposed to respond, we are killing the earth. We are killing the waters. We are killing the skies. And then they take the traditional hymn and they ask everybody to sing. The hymn is this, were you there when they crucified my Lord? But instead of Lord, they substitute the word earth. Were you there when they crucified the earth? Folks, that is sacrilegious. For many people today, environmentalism has become a religion in itself. That's why God said, all right, I am going to pour out my righteous wrath on the things that this world worships rather than God. That's the first trumpet. The recipient is the saw. Number two, the second trumpet, the recipient is the sea. Verse 8, let's read it together, please. And the second angel sounded, and as it were, a great mountain burning with fire was cast into the sea, and the third part of the sea became blood. Now God judges another part of man's uh, false worship, and that is the oceans. Now God has provided a wonderful thing when He gave us the oceans. What a beautiful gift to humanity. And we thank God for it. I mean, I, we love to go to the beach. We love to be there on the water. It's just amazing. But I'm telling you one thing, as great as it is, it's not greater than God. The God who created the oceans, He made it so that we might be blessed, but not made something that we ought to worship. Notice what it says, something like a great mountain, as it were. Isn't it? It's always great when Scripture says, uh, like as, or, you know, something like that that tells us it's a metaphor here. And so it says something like a great mountain thrown into the ocean. Most likely some sort of a asteroid or meteor is going to come bursting into this earth's atmosphere and then smash right into the waters. Now, you can only imagine likely 
how scary this is going to be to the earth because it is not without people knowing that these sort of things are happening. You may uh, know uh, recently, the, uh, just a couple days after Valentine's Day, a big old asteroid just went zooming by the earth. They said it was uh, huge, and uh, to them, huge was several hundred feet. Of course, it would have caused tremendous uh, devastation. They've actually been tracking it. They spotted it in 2002. And they've been, they've been tracking it ever since and knew the exact time that it would probably come by the earth. And it zoomed by us, thank the Lord, millions of miles uh, away from us. But the fact is, they are gonna, people are going to be tracking this. Can you imagine what's going to be happening in the world when the fear, seeing this great asteroid coming and knowing they're going to try to shoot atomic bombs towards it. They're going to shoot lasers. They're going to do whatever they can to try to avert it, but it's not going to work. Verse 9, and when it happens, a third part of the creatures which were in the sea had life died, and the third part of the ships were destroyed. And notice what it says, the water becomes blood. Now, it actually may just become looking like blood with the chemicals that are in it, uh, those uh, outer space uh, balls that hit this earth, or it may be the chemical changes in the water. There's well-known instances of red tides. But notice what it says here, that a third part of the ships were destroyed. You talk about overfishing. I mean, God is going to bring a meteor and an asteroid into this earth, and it's going to cause a huge tidal wave. This is going to be very distressing to the green evangelist. Verse, look at Zephaniah. Wondering, thank God for, I love these Old Testament prophets. Zephaniah was a man of God. And when you read the book of Zephaniah, you find that he was unique in that he had access to the king. Not all the prophets did, but he did. And uh, God had birthed him into a well known family, an influential family. And Zephaniah used his position to preach the word of God. And so 2,500 years ago, he was given this vision. Look what it says Zephaniah 1 and verse 3. This is referring to not only something that was going to happen in his time, but something thousands of years later. I will consume man and beast. I will consume the fowls of heaven and the fishes of the sea and the stumbling blocks with the wicked. And I will cut off man from the land, saith the Lord. What we're experiencing today in America, what we're experiencing today in the world is much like what happened 2,000, 3,000 years ago in the land of Israel. Israel were to be worshipers of Jehovah God. They were to give honor to God and to the Word of God. And then it came along these Canaanites. They had gods like Baal. They had gods like Ashtaroth. They had gods like Molech. Now, all of these gods had one thing in common. They were all about nature. They were the sun gods and the water gods and the earth gods and the weather gods. And so this worship of nature, this worship of God's creation, exactly what God said in Romans chapter 1, they worship the creature more than the creator. This Canaanite worship was basically just climate worship and nature worship. What happened Well, they knew that uh, they need to appease the nature gods, and so they even sacrificed humans so that the nature gods would be all right. 
to the point of taking babies and throwing them into the arms of a fiery Molech so that they might appease the nature gods. Isn't that what's happening today? People are sacrificing so much just so that we can make sure that nature is taken care of. Now it is a crisis. As I mentioned earlier, it's nothing more than just uh, something they're using to try to capture the devil is trying to capture the minds of people. I read a little article this week about so-called climate crisis. They've taken tree ring proxies. These are actual historical indicators of the climate. You know, tree rings, uh, trees add maybe, let's say, a ring a year. I'm not sure that's the case, but they add so many rings. They have trees that date back several thousand years. I happened to see a little chart that was from one of these tree ring proxies, and they showed that actually the temperature that we have right now is about medium for the last 2,000 years. About 1,000 years ago, actually, the temperature, the average temperature was a couple of degrees higher. In fact, uh, the historical documents from Italy back around 1,000 A.D. or so show that they were planting olive trees way up on some of those snowy mountains, which today would be snowy. How did they do such a thing? Because it was so warm back then. Not only tree ring proxies, but isotope ratios in ice cores. They take these ice cores that go down thousands of years of ice that have built up, and they can measure different things from those isotope ratios. And they found out that it's really climate temperatures and different things change constantly. But today it's a crisis. In fact, so much so that men like Al Gore perpetrate on the American people, and he is Mr. Global Warming for sure. Newsweek, uh, in a Newsweek article, he said, I was a Christian. He was actually a Baptist, but he uh, doesn't ascribe to that anymore. He now has got new light in his life. And I quote what he said. He said, the fate of mankind as well as of religion depends upon the re-sanctifying the earth. Well, I remind Mr. Gore this morning, what America needs is not re-sanctifying the earth. We need to re-sanctify God and the lives of the American people. We need to get back to the place where Americans put God first. And when Christians take the authority of God's Word, not some crisis revelation some environmental thing that's supposedly happening. Folks, is only then can we be the salt and light we need to be. And we need to have wisdom to stand against these lies. And God's going to bring it against the lies of this world, against the sod, the sea. And number three, the third trumpet against the streams. Verse 10, and the third angel sounded, and there fell a great star from heaven, burning as it were a lamp. And it fell upon the third part of the rivers and upon the fountains of the water. So it says a star. It's not doesn't take a lot of imagination to imagine maybe not be an actual star, but in the sense a meteor, an asteroid comes through the atmosphere, disintegrates as it comes through, perhaps, and then falls and makes it into a chemical. When we just a few weeks ago we had the privilege of going on a missionary trip, and just two days prior to us flying into Manila, the volcano blew there about an hour south in Cavite, and uh, they, I was talking to a man this week who had just come from the Philippines. He said the ash was that thick in that area. 
And uh, can you imagine all that uh, toxic coming up from the, all those chemicals that are in that? I mean, it just spoiled lakes and streams, and they were having a big problem there with drinking water and other issues. Imagine what's going to happen now when this star, these uh, come to the earth and it dissolves into chemicals as it comes to the atmosphere, falls into the globe, every river, every stream. People are going to open their spigots and dirt's going to come out like did in Flint, Michigan a few years, years ago. I mean, it's going to be terrible. And here they are. Now, um, in a time like this, I think it's always important to to kind of take a step back. And as Christians, we, we come to our churches and we preach like this. And I think we get this. We get, the, we get the concept of what's happening. But I know some people in the world view God as an angry deity. And they think, you know, that Bible preaching like this is a, you know, it's an angry preaching. Folks, that's not it at all. And the people say, is God angry? Well, you believe he is angry. But he's not angry at what people think he's angry at. He's not angry at people. He's angry at sin. He's angry at the devil. He's angry at the deception and the lies and the destruction of marriages and the destruction of these precious little children. Are we angry at that? Of course we're angry at that, and anybody should be angry at that. In fact, thousands of times in Scripture, thousands, it says God's a God of mercy. God's a God of love. God is a long-suffering God, slow to anger. No, People say God's an angry God. He's angry at sin. He's angry at that which destroys people. Any of us are devastated by the things we see in our community, the child abuse and the sexual abuse and the drug abuse. And of course, we're angry at that sin. But we're, we are so much compassionate to the people and the things that they're going through. And that's what God is doing here. And finally, God pours out His wrath on Satan. Finally, God, Satan has had control of this earth for too long. Folks, ever since the Garden of Eden, when they were cast out of the garden, Satan has been given the title deed to this earth. Thy kingdom come. That's how we're supposed to pray. But the fact is, God's will is not done on earth as it is in heaven. But someday it will be. Someday God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. During the tribulation period, that's going to start. And then during the millennium, it's going to be awesome, God's will done on earth. But we're supposed to still pray it. And there are times when there's little pockets of that happening in homes and in churches and in revivals where God's will is done on earth and God's will is done through the decisions we make. And so, but now during this tribulation period, all of a sudden, God lets loose. And that's why there's silence in heaven because now God's pouring out His wrath, His righteous wrath. You'd say, well, I can't believe, but the book of Revelation is just, God is so angry. Trust me, God has been waiting a long time. The earth was created some 6,000 years ago. He's been waiting ever since then. And really, even before that, at the fall of the uh, Lucifer and all the angels, he's been waiting all this time. I can't even wait three minutes for my popcorn to pop, let alone I get angry. You know, Come on, come on. God has been waiting for millennia. But there's coming a day when he waits no longer. And that's why it's causing this tremendous situation. The Bible says the star is called Wormwood. And that's the English translation, actually the Greek word absinthos. It is a deadly substance known as absinthe. It is also known in the Old Testament as hemlock. 
This is the hemlock root, basically. It's just a name for a very bitter root. In fact, it's part of what's known as gall. And so and that's, you may remember, that which was given to our Savior on the cross, gall, which was basically a form of, of uh, poison, which also had a stupefying effect and would also kill a person. That's why Jesus said no. He refused it so that he could die a suffering death to take all the sins of mankind. We're told in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 9, verse 13, and the Lord said, this is, thank God for these prophets who were given these, these prophecies many years before. And the Lord said, because they have forsaken my law. Again, it's not because he didn't like people. It's because they've forsaken the law and have not obeyed my voice. Verse 14, but have walked after the imagination of their own heart, climate change and so-called uh, uh, environmental crisis, and after Balaam, which their father taught. Verse 15, therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, before I will feed them, even this people, with wormwood. Here's that phrase again. It just means that the earth is going to turn, the water system is going to turn into poison. And of course, that's going to uh, hurt so many people. Thank God this morning, Jesus is the living water. And because He's the living water, I take Him now. I'd rather take the living water today than the lethal water later. And so, the first trumpet, the recipient is the sod. The second trumpet, the recipient is the sea. The third trumpet, the recipient is the streams. And then finally, the fourth trumpet, the recipient is the sky. Let's look at verse 12. And the fourth angel sounded, and the third part of the sun was smitten, and the third part of the moon, and the third part of the stars. So as the third part of them was darkened, and the day shone not, the third part of it, and the night likewise. And now we're told to look up. Not in a positive way, but in a way that's going to indicate we understand the judgment of God. There's going to be a terrible eclipse. There's going to be stars falling the moon, and it's going to be panic on earth as never before. Can you imagine all that's going to happen in this world? To the unbelieving world, nature is everything. To the unbelieving world, this world that we live in is everything, the trees and the water and the animals. And we, of course, as believers, believe in a good stewardship, and we love the earth that God gave us. We want to richly enjoy it. But the fact is, folks, we worship God, not a tree. We worship God, not a rock. We worship God, not our animals. We thank the Lord for all these things. But, folks, this earth is going to be destroyed. All these animals and uh, trees and oceans could be radically changed. And God said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to just shake the faith of this world. You would think that at this time people would cry out, to God for repentance. But look what happens, we're told. Jesus told His disciples. The disciples said, when's this going to happen? What's it going to be like? Look at Luke 21, verse 25. And there shall be signs in the sun and in the moon and the stars upon the earth, distress of nations, perplexity. Oh, so much perplexity. What do we do? What do we do? The sea and the waves roaring. And then look at verse 26, you talk about mental health issues, men's heart failing them for fear and looking for those things which are coming on the earth, and the powers of heaven shall be shaken, shall be shaken. So pastor, man, 
Well, this is a devastating yes. But if you thought that was something, folks, we've not even begun, really. I mean, that's just a tip. Look at verse 13. And I beheld an angel flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, Whoa, 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 to the inhabitants of the earth by reason of the other voices of the trumpets of the three angels which are yet to sound. The worst is yet to come. The worst is yet to come. Now, folks, let's put all this in perspective. This world is just in this incredible chaos, cataclysmic climate events, things falling from the sky. The water that we drink is now poisoned, animals dead everywhere. People, so many people died, you can't even hardly bury them. The, so much blood that it seeps into the groundwater, the, it is, uh, the waves are just crashing, tsunamis crashing on the shore. You talk about a climactic ecosystem crisis, this is crisis time. And yet in the midst of all of this, God's mercy. He has 144,000 spirit-filled, Christ-honoring, Bible-thumping evangelists all over the world. The Bible says they preach to every tribe, every language, every dialect. They're all over the earth preaching the gospel. Jewish evangelists. I mean, folks, it's even hard to find one Jewish person that converts to Christianity, let alone someone who preaches about Christ. But we're talking about 144,000 of them. Today in the world, there's about 70 or 75,000 missionaries. We're talking double that all over the earth. You have Moses resurrected preaching the gospel. Elijah resurrected preaching the gospel. The Bible says there's an angel that's in the sky. Some have said it's a satellite, and Christian broadcasters say, see, that's an angel satellite. But anyway, there's, a, there's an angel that is preaching the gospel. The Bible says the everlasting gospel. By the way, the gospel has never changed. Adam got saved the same way that I got saved. Moses got saved the same way I got saved. Don't ever say there was a different plan of salvation. It's always been trusting Jesus Christ as your only Savior. Now, in the light of all that, God's mercy, millions will be coming to Christ. Millions will take Christ. The Antichrist soldiers will be coming into homes and saying, you must reject the name of Jesus or die. And people will say, I'm not taking the mark of the beast. I'm not doing it. And they will be killed, children and moms and dads, and they will, be, they will be the most torturous things. In light of all of that, you would think that the world would say, I want Christ, I want Jesus. And yet, at the end, so many will still be rejecting. And instead of, the Bible says that we read a few moments ago, their hearts fail them for fear. Instead of that fear leading them to Christ, that fear just leads them to, to this mental health problem. When the answer is so easy and it's so clear. There's a wonderful verse I want to close with in Acts chapter 16, verse 31. And maybe you describe it in a way you've never heard it before. What's the answer? Well, the answer next year or 10 years or 50 years or 100 years 
or whenever Christ comes, the answer during the tribulation period is the same answer today. And it's the same answer that Job had. Job said, I believe my Redeemer. I believe in my Redeemer. I see Christ, and so do I. Here's a verse. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. There's no question. If you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. Now, up here we have these wonderful chairs, and we've been faithfully sitting in these chairs for almost 20 years here in this building, and here in a few months, the Lord willing, we'll be over there in that new building, and beautiful theater chairs. I mean, it's going to be awesome. But these chairs here are wonderful chairs. They're very good. They're very solid, and I mean, uh, they're comfortable. I believe that that chair will hold me up. I believe that chair will hold me up and will be there for me. How many believe that I, if that's the case, do I have faith in that chair? I believe it'll hold me up. I mean, look at how good and constructed it is. And I've seen you sit in it and, you know, I probably could sit in that chair. I have faith in that chair. Do I have faith? No, I don't have faith yet. Because the word believe is the Greek word pestuo, which means to rely on it. Literally means put your weight on it. I have a little illustration here that we have for you. Imagine for a minute this chair. And on this chair, I'm believing that I will, it'll hold me up. And so I'm going to go over here to this chair. I'm going to sit on this chair. Now, do I believe on the chair right now? Nope. When do I believe on the chair? Ah, oh. am I believing on the chair right now? No, not actually, because my feet are still touching the ground. That's my religion right there. 90% God and 10% me. The only way I can believe on the Lord Jesus Christ is to do what that little guy's doing right there. I'm standing on the chair. You'd say, well, how are we going to make it through the... How, how, what do I do? Folks, stand on, your, stand on Jesus Christ. I love that song we sang a few moments ago. I'm standing in faith of God this morning. That's where I put my trust. And I would say to you this morning, many of you, you're just good people. And I, I know most of you, some of you I don't know, and maybe just met. And I'm, I'm sure you're great people, awesome people. You probably pay your bills. You're nice to folks. You're moral. You do what you're supposed to do. But my friend, here's my question. Are you standing on the chair or are you just admiring Christianity? Yeah, God's sure good. Jesus is sure wonderful. He sure is good. Others of you might even take a little bigger step. You're coming to church and pretty much counting that's going to take care of you. And let me tell you this morning, none of that will be there for you. But standing on Jesus Christ will. Folks, what I've talked about this morning is coming. I mean, whether you believe it or not, it's coming. This is a document that's been handed to us by the prophets of God. It was delivered to the saints of God. This is God's Word. This is not some hokey climate science, some people there, next crisis, moving on, the next monkey that they just replaced. No. We're talking about something real. You need Christ. 
You need Christ in your life. You need to believe totally in him. You need to say, all right, Lord, that's it. That's, I'm done. I am done clinging to my good works, to my faith, to my goodness. I'm, I'm done. Right now this morning, I put my faith in you. Believe on. Just don't even just sit on it. Stand on Jesus Christ. That's where I stand this morning. And with faith, I face the future, knowing that I'm thanking the Lord that by His mercy, He saved me. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. This